0: well good morning thanks for being here if you are joining us online thank you also for joining us so about 13 years ago I went for my annual physical and they came back out the doctor did and said oh we just have a microscopic blood in your urine it's nothing to worry about just wanted to mention it to you so what did I do with that piece of information come on now I drove back to the office I sat down in front of my computer and what did I do? I Googled it. Yes, I did. Maybe you've done that. And I found out trace microscopic blood in the urine. It, 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 it can be a sign of bladder cancer. And then all of a sudden I realized, man, do I? Am I feeling that? You know, as I think about that, maybe I've... Well, it's been 13 years, and I've had no other symptoms, so I think I'm okay. About five years after that, six years... I had to meet with a specialist for some other reason. And he's going through my chart, and he said, oh yeah, that that microscopic blood in the urine, I I never worry about that. I thought, I do, I do. (laughs) What good did my worry do me? Zero, didn't it? And in fact, it cost me. Didn't it? Because I'm with somebody, I'm enjoying something, but I can't really enjoy it. I really can't enjoy this relationship because after all, I might have cancer, right? And this could be, I could be dead tomorrow. I, I just, you know, you worry robbed me. But I'm not alone in that. Lucas Lafreniere is a PhD, did his research on worry and asked a large control group of people. I want you to talk about what's worrying you. I want you to list it. And then in 20 days, we're going to come back and see how much of that came true. They do their own statistics. They do their own reporting. Any guesses what percentage of worry never materialized? 91.4%. You gave that time, you gave that energy away for nothing. That's why God's number one command to his people is do, do not fear, do not be afraid. That's the antithesis, don't worry. Why? Because it, it does nothing, and it robs us of life now worrying about the future. So I want to talk about how do we diminish worry? Since it's a life sucker and killer, how do we diminish it? So if you've got a Bible, if you'd open it to Matthew 6, <clears throat> we'll go, start in verse 25, and we'll go through verse 34, wrestling with that very question. How do we diminish worry? Now, just a quick overview. We're in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, We started weeks ago. It was Jesus on a mountainside, and he talked about his kingdom. When he's talking about his kingdom, he's talking about his rule. We understand that the rule of God is happening in part right now. As people like you and I voluntarily submit, there'll be a day it will come back in full. He will come back to set up his kingdom, and there will be no volunteer about it. Either you will submit or he will judge those who don't. For the meantime, though, we're living it in part, and he, he started by listing a, a bunch of characteristics of those people who are blessed or approved, and they said they're, they're poor in spirit, they hunger and thirst for righteousness, they're merciful, and he listed a bunch of those things. He said, those are your values. This is what characterizes you. They said, beware, though, you, you live that out, you're going to be out of step with the culture, and they'll persecute you. Man, if they're going to persecute us, why not just beam us right on out? Because Jesus says in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. Salt was a preservative. You rubbed it in meat and it would slow decay. Church, individually and corporately, you're the salt of the earth. You are slowing decay in our culture. One more metaphor. You're the light of the world. We understand in the Bible, light is our dark is a metaphor for everything evil, everything wicked. You turn on light and it's gone. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. He said, Church, individually and collectively, you are are the light of the world. So he's not pulling us out. Well, man, Jesus, you're speaking with a lot of authority there. Are you doing away with the Old Testament? He said, absolutely not. I'm not doing away. I've come to, I'm not come to do away with it. I've come to fulfill it. I'm the completion of the Old Testament. In fact, the whole Old Testament points to me. And then he showed us that just a little bit. He said, I'm going I'm to make six uh, uh, corrections or six applications, if you will. He took the sixth commandment, do not murder. Most of us say, well, we're good. I am i to killed him. I'm good. Jesus says, not so fast. You've been angry with somebody, you're guilty. Of what? Of murder. Because to be angry with them is to wish that they weren't there. Seventh commandment, do not commit adultery. Well, I haven't met with another woman besides my wife. Well, I'm good. No, 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 no. You longed for somebody, you imagined that, you're, you're guilty. On the topic of marriage, he said, you know, it's very easy in Jesus' day to write a certificate of divorce, and particularly the woman was vulnerable, send her on a ways. Jesus said, whoa, 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 we need to slow that down. You need to know, I do allow for divorce, but, but marriage matters to me. It's the first institution. Then I think he targeted the Pharisees with this. They had taken the Old Testament, added 640 precepts, and they had this little game. I'm going to give you my word, but if I swear by this, it's uh, like it's 60%. And if I, I swear by that, it's 80%. And if I swear by this, it's that. And, and, I, and, and Jesus says, stop, stop the nonsense. This is it. Let your yes be yes, no be no. Are you going to keep your word? Tell me. If you're not, not going to do it, just tell me. Then, he took the words of Moses, and he deepened them. Moses says, an eye for an eye, a tooth for tooth. Jesus says, in my kingdom, you're my follower. You give up the right to equal retribution. Someone slaps your cheek, and you're thinking, no, no, you you turn the other cheek. That's my kingdom. Finally, he said, you know, it said, uh, love your uh, neighbors and hate your enemies, because I guess maybe Roman rule gave them right to hate their occupiers. Jesus says, I said to you, uh, love your enemies and, and pray for those who persecute you. What? What? Yeah, it's, it's, Jesus is, is taking the teaching of the day and he, he's speaking as one in authority and he's turning it upside down. And he said, oh, you want a standard? I, I'm serious about obedience. Be perfect as my heavenly father's perfect. Well, I can't do that. No, you can't. Which is, brings us back to the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit. We need God. So Jesus is throwing down the gauntlet. Our behavior, because of our change of heart, our brokenness before him needs, our behavior needs to change. Well, that would be easy to try and impress others. Let me show you where I am with God in the way I give, the way I pray, and the way I fast. And Jesus said, be really careful about trying to impress others with your spirituality, because in reality, you're a hypocrite. You don't care anything about God. I just want to use God to impress you. Look how holy I am. Jesus said, don't. Act out to impress others. Do it to please God. And he talked about kingdom in verses chapter six, 19 to 24, which we did last week. He said, I want you to live for heavenly treasure, not things on earth, because that can be taken from you. Um, The things we value are are, are very temporal. Live for that which is eternal. And there's gonna be a continuation of that kind of thought here in our passage. Because verse 25 starts with a connector. It says, for this reason. So he's talking about what I've just said, about living for eternal things. I say to you, do not be worried about your life. So I I don't want you to worry. And he's going to go to the most basic of needs, food and clothing. Here we go. As to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put in it. Okay, here's a rhetorical question. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Yeah, th- there's more to it, but, but we can get so caught up in, in this need. And in and, and our most basic needs, I mean, we don't get food. We're going to starve to death. We don't get clothing. We, we're going to die of exposure. Jesus said, even in the extreme, I want you to trust me with those things, food and clothing. Okay, so we're going to start with food uh, in verse 26. Look at the birds of the year, that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Another rhetorical question here, are you not worth much more than they? Of course you are. Okay, so you are more valuable than the birds. The birds don't do jack. They don't work. They just fly around and do their thing, and God meets their need for food. All right, if that's true for birds, how much more you and me? So here's the practical application of that verse 27. And who of you, by being worried, can assign a single hour to his life? God knows your need. He's going to care for you. And worrying doesn't help you one bit. It doesn't add to your life. In fact, it robs you of life. Worry is of no value. Okay, so we've talked about food. Let's talk about clothes now, verses 28 through 30. Man, God takes care of the grass. He takes care of it. And it, it's here today and gone tomorrow. And so I want you to trust me because I want you to focus on that which is eternal. You're worried about stuff like food and clothing. You're, you're not there. You're, you're, and, and boy, isn't that, Annie, Annie, isn't that taking that God thing? Ooh, isn't that taking that a little too far? Jesus said you can't add anything to your life by worrying. In case we miss the point, verse 31, do not worry, okay? Do we get that? There's the application. Do not worry then, saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? I want you to stop worrying. Why? Because you've grown your confidence. Remember, you're living in my kingdom, my rule. Your trust, your confidence in me has grown to the point that I'm going to trust you with this. Because then in verse 32, Jesus is going to contrast that attitude with those who don't know God. And the Gentiles are a metaphor for everybody who doesn't know God. For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. Of course they do. Of course you seek food and clothing, because you need that at the very most basic level to survive. And if you're not if, if there's no God or you're living as if there's no God, then yeah, you better seek those things because you need them for life. Jesus says, I want you to trust me. Why? For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. You say, oh, Andy, let's hold up just a minute. I mean, we hear stories about uh, Christians who starve to death, Christians who die of exposure. What do you say about that? There are times that God allows bad things for the sake, doesn't cause them, but he allows bad things to happen to people to move his kingdom forward. And that's beyond the scope of this message. Um, in every case though God knows he's there with his people and, and, and at times he lets we've seen that in the book of Acts sometimes bad things happen to Christians and God redeems that that's beyond the scope of this message what God is saying is you can't do anything add anything to your life you only rob yourself in life and you show you're not trusting in me I want you to believe me Trust me, with everything in life, even the most basic things like food and clothing. Verse 33. Here's the take home. Here's the practical application. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. Okay, we're following this thread through. Of we're living for eternity. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things, food, all these things will be added to you. Well, isn't that a little extreme? Okay, if you're you and I are going to reject that, then we're captive to worry. Then worry is going to rob us of life just like it did at that doctor's appointment and 91.4% of the stuff that we worry about ain't going to come through. We're going to be spending energy and time. We're going to be losing out in relationships. We're going to be losing out in experience worrying. Jesus said, I've got fullness of life for you. I don't want that for you. I want you to trust me. One more time, verse 34, in case... We don't get it. So do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will care for itself. Each day. Okay, we're going to lose today worrying about today. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So we're talking about this question, how do we diminish worry? Embracing God. Taking God at his word will diminish worry. Taking hold of God. Thinking through. Taking God at his word. Embracing him as our ruler, the leader of our kingdom, will diminish worry. As I thought about how we live this out, I wanna be careful I'm not giving just a very simplistic, memorize this verse, do this, get this passage down, and sis bang, boom, worry is gone. A lot of times it's complex, we're complex beings, and there's things that are playing in on this. I can say worry is not congruent with living in the kingdom of God if we're worried, that tells us something is amiss in our faith, in our relationship with God. And sometimes it's a little bit more complex. So when I was in college, I was someone who obsessed about grades. To the point, my friends thought, something's a little awry here. So sophomore year, I'm taking third semester calculus. I'm a chemical engineering major. And on on this day, I get a test back, and I get a C on the test which means I'm going to get a B in the class. And I'm sad. I'm very, very sad, very dour. So at dinner, I'm eating with my friends and they say, okay, what's wrong? Well, well, I got a C in this test and now in math 253, calc three, I'm gonna get a B. And these guys had just kinda had it. You're gonna get a B? Oh, I, I changed my major, one of them says. and points to friend, how about you? I think I'd drop out of school. Points to another guy sitting on the other side. I don't know if I could find a reason to live if I had gotten I mean, they're just, come on, lighten up. It's a B in one class. Later, I got involved in Campus Crusade, but I carried my worry in, but now I'm going to get a Christian perspective on it. And I got this. I mean, if I had a nickel for every time Matthew 6, 33 was quoted to me, I'd be a rich man. And I memorized this verse. Uh, another verse they had me memorize was Philippians 4, Acts 6 and 7, be anxious for nothing, but in prayer and supplication, let your request be known to God. And the peace of Christ, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And I would memorize those verses, I would consider them, and I would still worry. And now I'm worried because I'm worrying. It took me a few years to work this through, but what I realized is I had a root issue of acceptance before God. See, I came from a family of uh, academic achievers. I'm in the middle of three boys. When I started as a freshman at A&M, my brother was starting in medical school, and he got his first two years paid because of his MCAT score. That's what you come in on, your entrance to medical school. His, his score was so high. He straight married. He got his first two paid. And then when I, my younger brother was a sophomore in high school, and he was in a class of about 600 in a high school in North Houston. I, I think he had the highest PSAT score. I ain't that smart. And I didn't want to be the family dummy. So I'm feeling stress about these grades. And there was an issue there that it was more than just memorizing a verse. Yes, worry is incongruent with the community, of with the um, the kingdom of God, but there was a root cause. My I needed to find my worth, not in my performance, not in my great point, but in my relationship with Christ. We're complex. There may be stuff going on in your life that I don't want to just throw a simple thing out there. It may be some mental health things, maybe some chemical things. You know, I your family, my family was one that worried. Um but it, worry is not. Congruent. It is not a characteristic of somebody who's living in the kingdom of God, and we may need to work that through. And what are those issues that are driving my worry? Now, every time I step up to preach, there's always a sense of inadequacy. I don't, I don't live this out, but perhaps um, no more so than in a message like this, because of my family background and uh, my parents grew up in the depression, and because of my. Personality, I've got this melancholy string that goes through it. Worry is something that has always challenged me, has always plagued me. But God has a way of providing. 27 and a half years ago, I fell in love with and married an optimist. And we got married, uh, we were back in the States, five weeks, we'd been overseas. So we did a little bit of our premarital counseling Before, but then we did a good bit of it after. And we took this test, and we were compatible in so many areas until we got to optimist, pessimist. People, I was right down here on the floor. And the only reason I was on the floor, it didn't go any lower. My wife, it's on the ceiling. That's because that's the high end. The sky's blue, it's always been blue, always will be blue. And the guy said, I think you guys may have a little conflict here. He wasn't whistling Dixie. If you know me, and if you don't, it's okay. I mean, there's been some stuff, some medical stuff in our past, like many of you have had, that have been challenging. And her response has been, Andy, God is in control. And you know what? Living with her for the last 27 and a half years has been really good for me in a lot of ways, but perhaps no more so in this area. You begin to realize God is in control. Maybe I need to worry a little less and trust him a little bit more. And she would say, Pastor, why don't you practice what you preach? And I say, Hope, they pay me to preach it. They don't pay me to practice it. (laughs) But in our lighter moments, I will say to her, you clearly do not know what's going on. She will say, she said, Andy, I do. But for the sake of argument, if you want to have, if I have a choice of being uninformed and happy or informed and miserable, I will choose uninformed and happy every day of the week. (laughs) As I've thought about the application of this, though, across the body, one of my concerns is this doesn't get lived out because people are consumed, particularly in these last couple of three or five years, by what is going on in the world. See, in the kingdom of God, we say God is in control. But people are taking in so much news media, they would profess God is in control, but in reality, they are living as if, fill in the blank, with one or more of these people Joe Biden, or Donald Trump, or Mitch McConnell, or Chuck Schumer, or Nancy Pelosi, or Kevin McCarthy, or Pete Ricketts, or Ben Sass or Deb Fischer, or Galen Larion baird or Pat Lopez, and I can go on and on. And these people, this person makes a decision, and man, it is beyond worry. It is, I mean, it is. You're wrecked. You're consumed by this, and it's as if... God is not in control over these people making these decisions. My concern is there is so much time being spent listening to, and I'm just going to pick names on the right and the left to try and be fair Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, Don Lemon. Chris Como, that these news people are forming us Tucker and Sean, Don and Chris more than the writers of the gospel are: Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. May I remind you, these news outlets benefit from your reaction. You get mad, you want to get in that, you want to click, you want to, you want to share that, you want to tell your friend, good, that's what they want because they get paid on clicks. They get paid on viewers. This stuff is monetized to get a reaction out of you. They want you to live as if these issues are the final thing in control and you better, better do something about it. You're being played if you're being pulled in a news media, and you're being, practically speaking, yanked from the kingdom of God to the kingdom of Fox or the kingdom of CNN or the kingdom of Newsmax or the kingdom of MSNBC, and I I can go on, but you get the point. If that's you, here's what I wanna ask you to consider. A fast, we talked about fasting from news media. Turn it off. Limit it. I'm, I'm, I'm only taking in this much a day. I grew up without a TV. That's one thing my dad did right. I did not get one until I was a freshman in high school, and by the time we got one, it was down in the family room. It was never on during mealtimes. Turn it off. During mealtimes. Limit it. Be intentional. Why? Because we want to live intentionally in the kingdom of God and not in the kingdom of Fox or CNN or MSNBC or Newsmax. Something else I want to ask you to consider. I'm not pushing to be uninformed. But news media, visual media is sensationalized. The image gets a reaction out of us. So when we were married... I was in seminary, and every night we would watch NBC Nightly News with Tom Brokaw. We did that for two and a half years. We graduated. We went to Latin America for two and a half or three years. We came back, and we started that practice again. But we quit it pretty quickly. Do you know why? Because our first son was born in Latin America. By the time we got back, he was a year or a year and a half. and We started realizing we don't want him seeing those images on the TV, and let me tell you, they were tame compared to what they are now. So we turned the TV off. If you're one that is being consumed, living outside the kingdom, I'm not pushing for ignorance in the news, but would you consider taking your news by reading it? Almost every phone has a news app. If not, you can find it. I'd encourage reading both sides of the issues that are a lot more, it's not as simplistic as we think. And it makes me realize, man, we desperately need God. Freedom from worry is a characteristic. It's a fruit of living in the kingdom of God. Our news channels need to keep you coming back to stay in business. Freedom for Mori does not serve them. I would ask you to consider, practically speaking, are you living in the kingdom of God or are you living in the kingdom of news media? Here's why I say that. Genesis 1-2 said the earth was formless and void. It was chaos. And then the Spirit of God began to move and brought life out of that, brought creation out of that. We serve a God who brings order out of chaos. He brings shalom out of disaster. My fear is we forget that we get so caught up in what is going on and this policy and that thing, and, and we, we get so caught up, we forget about this God who has since eternity past majored in bringing order out of chaos, shalom out of disaster. May he move to the forefront of our thinking that we can live the life Jesus desires for us a freedom from worry. Worry does nothing for us. It only robs us of today, worrying about tomorrow. It robs us of the relationship. It robs us of the experience, because what about, what about, what about? Jesus would not want that for you. He would want fullness of life. So if the whole pastor thing doesn't work out for me, I'm thinking of going into a business here in Nebraska where I'm going to sell hurricane insurance. If you will pay me 300 bucks a year, I will uh, promise any any damage you have from a hurricane, um, we'll cover it. We'll cover it. So I'm, I'm wondering now do I have any takers? I think D. Doyle back there, she's going to do it. I think Shelly Miller is going to do that. Stan Matheson is going to. Don't buy hurricane insurance in Nebraska, okay? You'll never get a return from it. Hurricanes don't get this far. That will be a waste. You pay me 300 bucks. That is a waste of money. That is a set of tires. That is your kid going to camp. That is Christmas presents. That is a vacation that you just threw out the window because you made a bad purchase. What's my point? Worry is an equally bad purchase of our energy, of our time, of our emotion. It's sucking us dry and we're getting no, no return for it. Jesus said, we're not ad- adding a day to our lives. It is draining us. It is robbing us. Jesus said, I came in my kingdom so you don't have to worry. Would you and I be people that take hold of that by taking hold of him, embracing him, and wrestling with him if I'm worrying, what is it? Where, what, what needs to change? How do we diminish worry? taking hold of God, embracing God, taking God as His word, will diminish. our worry. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, uh, it's a challenging word because we live in worrying times and, and we just are bombarded with reasons why everything's coming off and, and, and we buy into it and, and, and it does nothing but rob us. So Lord, would we be people that... Take you at your word and live fullness of life that you desire for us. Um, Lord, I pray that we're being formed by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the writers of the gospel, more than any voice from this world. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.